This week, we're going back to the 90s and talk about the Chrono series from Chrono Trigger to Chrono Cross. Welcome to another auspicious episode of the Lasting Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Toffee, straight out of time. And I am a uh, frog, the best companion <laughs> with the best. Right, you are. <laughs> yes, yes. From your X skills to your t- triple tech Dude, to your double tech, if, you if, are the best. If your special move is j- dropping a giant frog on the entire map, <laughs> a giant colorful rainbow frog. Oh, yeah, yeah. So obviously, as you can tell, uh, we are going to be talking about a particular game anniversary. We figured we should at least pay tribute to one of the greatest JRPGs of all time, if not the greatest. Yes, and he's obviously talking about Chrono Trigger, released back in 1995. How old were you then? (laughs) Yeah, oh my god, I think I was still in, uh, I just started high school, I believe, around that period. I was about to finish high school. (laughs) Yeah, we're just revealing our age and everything, but you know what, we're proud, because this is a time when it was nice to not actually have a job not <laughs> no responsibilities. Yeah. Yes, no responsibilities. Just video games and skateboarding and MTV when it was good. Yeah. I think this was a time when you were really into Nirvana, right? Was it? Or no, was definitely. It this was peak 90s for me. Uh, I picked up skateboarding, started listening to Nirvana and also... Pearl uh, Jam and Stone Temple were pretty big around that time, yeah, right? I wasn't a Stone yeah. Temple guy. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I was definitely Pearl Jam. I was like definitely a, a fan of the big four of grunge, which would be uh, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains. Yeah, I don't know why some millennials or some people complain about the 90s when they love the 80s, but you know what? 90s was actually our time, you know, because that was a time when, what's that, Squaresoft. Before they were Square Enix, before they were whatever the hell they are right now, you know, getting paid from like FF14 money, subscription money here and there. Mm. They were just an innocent but slightly bigger company called Squaresoft Uh. back in the day. Like this was like the time when it was the Super Nintendo was at its prime and there was a whole console war going on between Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive. Yeah, I want to say this also uh, to that point. Uh, it's like that was an actual console war because there were definitely kids on the playground, like you know, def- having very he- having very heated discussions about which console was better, as opposed with actual to- exclusives, not timed exclusives, yeah. games that belong to a console and nothing and it was else. literally mascot versus mascot, which is better, Mario or Sonic? Which one had the better Street Fighter? Which one yeah. had the best graphics? I mean, sixteen bit graphics. I would still say. Graphics-wise, uh, I'll give it to Sega. Sound-wise, I'll give it to Super Nintendo, which will make a lot of sense later when we start discussing the game that we yep, are yep. paying tribute to. And in terms of which one had the best Street Fighter, the Sega one. It had no yeah, slowdown. <laughs> and then your default controller was, was the one with all six buttons. The On face. the Mega Drive 2, yeah. Yeah, Mega Drive 2, yes, yes. Yes, what we call it here in Asia. Not f- Genesis, the fuck? Genesis, yeah. That's a band. <laughs> that's not, a, not, a, not a console. It's a good band. You know, terrible name for a console, though. Yes, it is, it and is. Yeah, so to set the stage, more or less, like, 93, 94, 95. This was an age where Squaresoft were basically at their prime when they released FF4, mm-hmm. which is called FF2 in English. And FF6, which was called FF3 in English. Yes. Yes. Very confusing naming schemes. Should we explain this to all our Lasking fans, especially if they're not of our age uh, range? So, yeah, back in the day, it was very expensive to actually bring a game from Japan to to be localized in English. Especially with the time needed to actually... Word for word, text by text, you know, on your debug kit for your Super Nintendo. Mm, yes, so it's, it's gen- not like 
how it's done now where basically you can just read off a PDF. No, no, no. Yeah, or a WhatsApp away. Or basically. you could just Google translate it straight away. You had to hire yeah. some dude who could read it and not only translate it but actually get the context and the syntax, right? Especially when they started using slang or there was puns involved. And as well as to make sure that whatever you translated can actually fit in that part before it makes the cartridge size, you know, make the little, before it exceeds the memory and stuff. I think also we need to kind of mention the fact that this was something that didn't really go into a lot of QC because if you recall, one of the best things about classic uh, video game is the English. Congratulations, a winner is you. (laughs) Or uh, FF4, uh, what's that, you Spoonie Bard, which is, you know, kind of funny in retrospect. And and here's the thing, is like, we'll read that and think, yeah, that's what he's actually saying. (laughs) There was no one to contest with back then. It's like, no, that's that's in the script. So we kind of had to take that, like, word of law. For what it was, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And let's not forget, this was a time when Square Enix, sorry, Squaresoft was really, really big in Japan, but... Very, very minuscule outside of Japan where I believe there were like a ton of games like Live Alive, Front Mission, um, Romancing Saga 1 and 2 That's, were out. Yeah. But they're never localized at all because again, money. Money to bring these games out and then to justify the cost. So they had so Squaresoft had to cherry pick the titles that are worth, you know, bringing out. And then when they're done localizing, I think it's already like a year has passed already, which is why games like FF4 were released as FF2. And then when FF5 came out, mm. by the time that game got traction and they were about to actually localize it, FF6, I think, followed up from there. And then they had to choose which one they got to cut off, either FF5 or FF6, to localize outside of Japan. Yeah, I mean... So, they made the right choice, to be honest. You know, yeah. it's even strange when like the younger generation complain, like, why can't we have Yakuza games? And it's like, Dude, imagine what we had to go through back in the day. Yeah, yeah. You had to wait for your Yakuza game for six months. You had to wait for two, three years for our Final Fantasy VI to be Final Fantasy III. For it to be localized, for it to be English. Dude, I was one of those guys who had to learn Japanese just to enjoy yes. these fucking video games. God damn uh, it. Yeah. I, I, but I didn't play Chrono Trigger in uh, Japanese, no. I, which, which, which is why I'm actually kind of glad that, you know, Squaresoft in the infinite wisdom, they cherry-picked the best titles that you bring to English. Yeah. So... We mentioned FF4, FF6, and then in 1995, it was the, of course, Chrono Trigger. Yeah, and I would say this is something that single-handedly put a dent in my studying habits and probably why I didn't do so well in my O-levels. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is Street and, Fighter, definitely. Yes. So this was be the second place in terms of like games that actually ruin your education. Oh, yeah. No, Third place, third place. Because Quake was about to happen like two years uh-huh. later, and then, like, god damn it, I was going through college. You know how expensive college was? Yes, it is, yeah. <laughs> Back in you the remember, 90s. Uh, remember, how, you remember how expensive cartridges were, too, as well? God damn it, I cartridges. paid $100 for Chrono Trigger. <laughs> oh my god, it was insane, dude, yeah. And then it's like, you didn't. Uh, okay, we also need to kind of have this little bit of a caveat because there was a bit of a piracy scene back then because it is unfortunate as it is, games don't get popular if they're not available or affordable. And for kids like me back then, look, I was getting like $2 a day for allowance. back. This is yes. 90s money, okay? That's a meal, a bus ticket, and at least like a dollar left so you could rent the game. And uh, this is definitely on heavy rental. I mean, like, what convinced me to buy this game was basically, like, the the depth of this game. Like, for me to be able to complete it over a weekend is nigh impossible. So it is. I, it is. The only way for me to thoroughly enjoy this was like, this is one of those things where, 
you either saved up your uh you know your chores money <laughs> oh god <laughs> yeah mowing the grass and everything you know the usual oh, oh man I, I i was delivering papers and shit when i was over on this yeah waking up at 5 a.m on your bicycle delivering newspapers door to door yeah okay that's some character building shit right there mm-hmm. uh but also at the same time i want to say uh yeah it was definitely one of the few games where I kind of immediately fell in love with it like within the first like two hours in and that's very rare for me because it's I mean even back then like I'm very famously a stickler here on the last game podcast uh, even back then I had very high expectations when it came to my uh, I would say video game purchases and rentals because you know I mean you have to understand uh, every once in a while you like throw a dollar you rent something like Fighting Masters on the Sega like this is a piece of shit (laughs) (laughs) I want my money back (laughs) you know and every once in a while you throw down like a dollar you get like a a Strider or a Shinobi or even for like uh, uh, the Super Nintendo era definitely you know I'll pick up games like uh, okay definitely Street Fighter Uh, definitely Secret of Mana definitely I would say this like the, the problem with uh, my spending habits back in the day especially when it comes to the Super Nintendo right, was something that I think is like I mean I was a fan of the Mario games and the Mario games was something you could definitely beat over a, a weekend or a mm-hmm. day if you put your mind to it but this was I would say something we need to establish is the burgeoning of that the glorious golden years of the JRPG I would say I mean like it did exist before in the 80s in uh, various shapes and forms but I would say... But nothing, nothing like how the Super Nintendo yeah. did it with like 92, 93 Definitely. So it was, it's like, if anything, right, the only reason to own a Super Nintendo is to play every fucking JRPG on it. Because uh, I would say this was also when Nintendo was a bit stringent when it comes to the QC. Because like, you know, back then, the Nintendo seal of approval meant something. It was really hard to get, <laughs> yes. It was very hard to get. Everything yeah. had to be a, like a tip-top perfect, no bugs, like, ugh, you know, I mean, and that's one thing I kind of miss about gaming back in the day because you would have at least like a year till the next amazing game to finish the yeah. game you're working on right now. Okay, but basically before Steam ruined everything, <laughs> yeah, we actually <laughs> had to send. There were draconian practices like done by Nintendo and okay, mostly Nintendo because if you actually made a game on the Super Nintendo, yeah, you had to stick with Nintendo more or less unless. You kind of want to get backlash from them, mm, kind of. Because that's why that's that's why Capcom and Konami only release games like for the Mega Drive, like around 93, 94 because of the uh, contract and everything. Yeah, we got, finally we got Castlevania Bloodlines. <laughs> yeah, finally and we also got Rocket Knight Adventures. Yeah, finally we got Contra Hardcore. <laughs> yes, you know, like oh, don't aren't these games supposed to be only on Nintendo? Ooh, back then, uh, nope. okay. Remember when like uh, games appeared on other consoles and like, wait, what? What's going on? Yeah, yep. Uh, it was Brave New World back then and I would say if anything uh, Chrono Trigger I would say is one of the few games where I championed Uh, did you ever go through that period in your life where you played something so wonderful you had to tell all your friends about it I did that with Final Fantasy VI, and that was only on the PlayStation version, the port. So, here's the thing. I never owned a Super Nintendo at all. I only had, like, neighbors to be friends with who are super rich. They somehow have a Sega CD. I wasn't super rich. Super Nintendo. (laughs) Yeah. I earned that. Malaysia. Malaysia. Different different, uh, currencies and shit. Can I also do one more thing? Sorry, uh, before we continue. I apologize. Yes, 
it's called a Super Famicom with the colored buttons. That's what I own. Okay, but I'm gonna just say Super Nintendo for the sake of brevity and well, we're a global audience and I think people well, recognize that more. Well, the Super Nintendo my neighbor had had the colors, so it's the Europe version, the PAL version. The purple one or the, the white no, one? No, the one with all the colorful colors like the like the Japanese one. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, the European version had the colors. Oh, because not like pure bland. I know because like for I think a lot of the, our American listeners they'll be more uh, familiar with the purple and grey Super Nintendo. Where, oh yeah. Whereas yeah, over here we had the Super Famicom, which had like you know your yellow, red, blue buttons. Uh, so basically, moving on, I only only got the whole. I well, I was basically infected by the JRPG bug only like much later when I had my first PlayStation. When I I mean sure I did play Final Fantasy. Three a lot, but not Chrono Trigger because at the time Chrono Trigger was the new game hmm. that my that my friend was actually playing a lot. So I only had like glimpses of the game back and forth. I only fully played it when the PlayStation version anthology came out. With uh, I believe the collection was called Final Fantasy Anthology. It came with Dawn of Souls FF One. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh no 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 sorry sorry it came out with FF Four and Chrono Trigger. So playing a cartridge game with CD loading time Ooh. it was a bit weird. But, but, to offset this, we had toy animation cutscenes created by Toriyama and his Dragon Ball uh, producing crew. Was this made specifically for the re-release or...? Yeah, yeah, it was just made specifically for the PS1 version. Mm. And then the other ports had the cutscenes later on. And then it actually had an extra cutscene that you discover that actually ties in together with the next game we'll talk about, Chrono Cross. Mm -hmm. So that was a nice little bonus, you know, per se. But yeah, so we should, I guess from there, I just want to set my context that basically you played this during the peak of uh, the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And I only played it like way after, more or less, a few years I later. I mean, like even when I did play it, right, it was the kind of game where nobody seemed to be interested in it. And I would say, like, I mean, why I brought it up where it's a game I championed, it, it was basically, it's one of those things where when it arrived in my hands and I started playing it, and it kind of uh, ignited a certain spark in me. And at that point of time, uh, I would say my game tastes were kind of malleable because it was either, you know, spaceship shooters, shmups, uh, fighting games, brawlers. Mm -hmm. And I did have, like, you know, a few experiences in the RPG. So, like, I mean, I would say, like, around that time, I was a huge fan of, like, Shining Force. I was a huge fan of Fantasy Star 2. And, like, when I got myself a Super Nintendo, I mean, it came with the uh, Street Fighter, obviously. And then came the opportunity like, okay, uh, time to build the library. So what should I do next? So uh, my introduction was through GamePro magazine. Remember that shit, kids? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember this. Uh, I bought myself a copy of GamePro magazine because it had the uh, so-called the moves list for Mortal Kombat 2. <laughs> the guides and everything. Like, like remember how to do fatalities. On paper? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it had this little corner that was like, this is how you do the code to enable blood mode for the Sega. Ooh, you know? And I was like, glad I didn't get that on like uh, my Super Nintendo. But I remember just flipping through the pages and then there was this beautiful uh, full page, uh, I think two-page spread review on, I think, Chrono Trigger? Which was released earlier in, in the year and I think... Uh, this was definitely 95 this was definitely yeah, 95 around, and it is yeah. as like, I didn't and I, I read it I saw the sprites I saw the graphics and there was just even with the still images uh, there was something magical and beautiful about the, the pixel art it yep. really stood out in a way where it didn't quite have the kind of garish undertones of like say like other games there was something about the color palette that was uh, earthly and like you know I would say, I mean, it's it's very pastely, 
you have to admit, and it did kind of evoke a certain sense of I would say aesthetic. And I remember like, oh hey, this game got like a nine upon ten. I'm got better go check it out. And yes, exactly. Thank God, man. Thank you, GamePro Magazine, for introducing me to Chrono Trigger. Like, I think part of the reason why the art direction was like that because it was basically the dream team that made this game. Mm, like, yes, let's talk about okay, that. We got to bring up, of course, Akira Toriyama, whose artwork from Dragon Ball is actually very evident on the cover of Chrono Trigger. Yeah, and in the game, not just on the portraits, but also in the sprites and the enemies you fight and everything. Like everything is just captured and detailed. Like you said, earthly, pastely. And it can also get really dark, especially when you get to the future mm, timeline. Yeah. Wrecked, wrecked by Lavos and everything. Uh, okay, can we, are we going to do spoilers <laughs> for a game uh, that's we're gonna, really, yeah, really this old? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But but we're going to, we'll get there later. But for now, again, like I said, Akira Toriyama was for art. Mm. As you can tell, that's what drew people in. But not just that. It's also uh, the storyline from Masato Kato, the story and script. The guy who originally did the cutscenes for Ninja Gaiden back yeah, in the day. A very pioneering video game. Yeah. And, and of course, we can't forget uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, Mr. Final Fantasy Mr. himself. Mr. Final Fantasy himself. Yeah. Yuji Hori, Mr. Dragon Quest. Mm-hmm. And Yoshinori Kitase, Akihiro Matsui, who were also Square Enix people. Yeah. Like before, before they did FF7, they were doing a lot of FF games, Square Enix stuff. Takashi Tokita, apparently another Square Enix guy. And uh, yeah, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda and Nobuo Ematsu. Soundtrack guys. Also Square Enix. Uh, sorry, also Squaresoft. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very hard for us. Like, we're always going to be slipping into Square Enix knowing Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they were Squaresoft. Let's yeah, just do it. What, we call it what we used to call it back in the day. Square. Square. There you go. <laughs> That's perfect. Square. Yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, let's also establish something else. It's like, uh, back then, when it came to the JRPG, I mean, this was before Final Fantasy 7 which was genre defining and I think it's very hard for especially a lot of our younger fans to like even imagine a time when something as like staple as the JRPG right was not only just rare but I would say it was in its developing stages because I think yeah. it was definitely around this times. like I would equate it to say when you look at like uh, the films of like Alfred Hitchcock and Orson Welles where they were creating the standards and the frameworks and and all the tropes and everything that has been redone and done and copied and then uh, you know improved on to this day like back then there was like I mean I need to give props where props is due because the amount of innovation and the amount of sheer like uh, imagination and just creative direction and then yeah sleepless nights dude. the problem solving that they needed to go through to figure out like things like this back in the day and you have to understand like there was nothing before that to reference from uh, as a part as opposed to like you know what exists now because like you, you can look at any Final Fantasy game is like Final Fantasy 7 is the blueprint just do that and then yeah but before elaborate. that what, where was the bold blueprint where there was, was no blueprint that? I mean like, I would give props to pro- where props is due also to maybe Final Fantasy 3 Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, called it wasn't called anything even in the US yet. No. Yeah, we didn't know it was part six until much later. You know, when we did our research and everything, and we knew better. I mean, for me, I knew it was like there was a part six, there was a part three, because I, I grew up with Final Fantasy games, and I would say if it, it, it felt like this, like when I played Chrono Trigger, it had that familiarity which was necessary. It did feel like a Final Fantasy game, the turn-based combat, everything. But it was a different world, it was a different universe, and it was a, a totally different, uh, how you say, realm to explore. You know, it didn't yeah. kind of, it didn't feel too familiar, like, gameplay-wise, like, if you had, 
some experience playing JRPGs, like yeah, fish to water. You would definitely know what to do. But I, I, would I think say, this is, I think this is also a time when uh, there was actually a rivalry that was still going on, and it was very unheard of to have companies working together. Hmm. We were talking about Square and Enix because Enix was doing Dragon Quest in Japan. Mm, yes, Square was Final Fantasy. So to have them work together was basically. Mind blown, more or less. And this was probably. Oh, I mean, you also have to understand. Uh, back then, it was like, oh, Fatal Fury and Art of Fighting in the same game. What's this King of Fighters? Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so it was definitely. I mean, we need to give. Uh, we also need to mention uh, like the, the the mid to late nineties. There were a lot of crossovers, sir. I mean, but the crossovers was mostly in the companies' games, and so it's not so much with a rival company. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. nowadays, people are not even surprised when you see Sonic the Hedgehog appear on a Wii game. Yeah, you know, back then it was blessed for me. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh my god, what, what, what's your allegiance, man? You know, how could you, Sonic? No. Oh, but then again, <laughs> Sonic trailer. We have to talk about it later, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> nah, forget it. Uh, uh, but I would say this: when you played Chrono Trigger, and this was definitely in short bursts. This was definitely like after school over at your friend's place. But oh. Initial definitely. impressions. I mean, for me, it definitely had this very magical kind of. It grabbed my attention. Firstly, secondly, uh, buttery, smooth uh, gameplay. Everything made sense. It was. Actually, I would say this right. It's also one of the few JRPGs that didn't feel clunky with an overbearing menu system. Or maybe I can also attest to the fact that I have a bit of experience. But mm-hmm. one thing I think, and I think you would definitely agree with me, is that the streamlining in the inventory system, in the combat yes. system, and the ability for you to combine powers, so to speak. This was actually very groundbreaking at the time. I mean, sure, I played it in 98 or so on the CD, but at the same time, I can see that, yeah, this is an old game that introduced a lot of crazy stuff. And then when I played it over and over again, I actually grew to actually love the JRPG concept because of this game. Now, you got to remember, 95, sure, innovations are here and there, but at the same time, When's the last time you actually tag team with a party character? I mean, there aren't that many games where you actually have a party that you like everyone in the party itself. You, sure, there are other JRPGs like FF6 or FF5 or FF4 where basically you're going to have to shoot. You're going to have to pick one, three or four guys and then that's it. You're not going to care about anyone else unless they're needed in a particular dungeon or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Here in Chrono Trigger, it was really hard not to... I mean, I like everyone, basically. I like Chrono, I like Marl, I like Luca, I like um, Robot, I, Ayla, and Frog, and even Bagus as well. I loved everyone. I want to use all of them if I could, but you only allowed three people. So the, it's telling for an RPG of a quality where basically you have a hard time picking who to go, who to pick when you actually go for your adventure. And I will also maybe uh, add another point where it added to the strategy because yes, you yes. really needed to know like definitely the synergy between certain people especially with certain dungeons yep yep and also it affected the story to who you brought along you know because certain characters can only unlock certain things and certain characters can only proceed certain places and they all have different reactions and I would think maybe it was I don't know if it was pre-planned but it definitely added to the replayability of Mm, this game because like you could still save your game try this uh, maybe this you know team combination and see if it works for you and if you're not happy eh, load, load, load the save again try another one yeah. and uh, I would say this also uh, I love the dynamic within the characters because it didn't feel like oh here's your healer here's your uh, tank uh, here's your guy who does range 
they actually put a lot of care and detail into making each one of these characters not only memorable, but I would say so you know, easy to fall in love with. Yeah, I think the takeaway is this is nobody sucks in this game, basically. Yeah, you know, like even Ma- even Magus, obviously he's super powerful with the area effect stuff, but his trade off is he, he doesn't have a tech because obviously he's bad. Mm-hmm. So yep. yeah, okay, the anti hero. I mean, which is very far from the tropes of like current JRPGs because, yes, uh, as much as I love FF thirteen, Vanille is fucking annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> both voice actresses. Ugh. Yes, <laughs> but. Uh, also, I mean, god damn it, this game made me kind of fall in love with a frog. Yeah, yeah, a frog. <laughs> a talking, walking frog who speaks in the old English, you know. Yeah, there's something adorable about that. And I would say, I think maybe uh, it added to, I, and I hate to overuse this word, but the charm of this game. This is candidly be attributed to um, the localizer, Ted Woosley. For anyone who had no chance to actually learn Japanese when you played it the first time in English, mm. The localization, all that, did a great job at, you know, changing some names to make it fit. I mean, it was really nice to see the three bad guys as Ozzy, Flea, and Slash, right? It was kind of cute, mm. in a sense. <laughs> and as well as, you know, like Gato and Specchio and all the different uh, kind of accents and whatnot, you know, thrown around here and there, you know, just to make this a very livable world, even though it's 16-bit. Yeah, you know? I mean, it was definitely, even in j- just, I would say, like, you know, adding that to the language added to the enchanting nature of this game. Mm-hmm. And it definitely made the immersion a lot more appealing. I mean, I do recall... I mean, I have mentioned several times on the podcast, I'm not a fan of story in games. And if it's done fucking well, that's how you get my attention. And I would say, this was probably the first time ever where I read every single dialogue box. And it, uh, I mean, there was a reward unto itself, but also because you just... It tapped into your imagination because you read it in the character's voice or you made up the accent yourself and then it helped, you know, definitely encourage that sense of play which I feel is very lacking a lot of modern games nowadays because they're trying to force-feed characters and all their depictions and all their certain nuances. Like, there's, it leaves little room for imagination but back then it's like, you know, how would Slippy, I mean, sorry, Slippy, Frog sound like, you know? Yep. And I, I I gave him like the, the in my head like the poshest British accent. Yeah, because he speaks in that kind of English. You know what I mean? Yes. And then like Luca definitely had that, you know, uh young man on the journey voice, you know. Yep, yep. And it's like I think that's I think something that's very much missing in a lot of modern RPGs, that uh extra space to allow the player to kind of fill in the gaps and let their imagination like, you know, re- uh I would say complete the world. Like, too many RPGs at this day and age, they rely a lot on, like, doing a lot of backtracking and padding and whatnot. Mm. Here, okay, if you played this fresh, I think the the longest time you could actually do to actually get through your first playthrough is probably 17 hours. And that's considered short, but at the same time, it feels perfect. I mean, honestly, when playing through Chrono Trigger, it's, everything is just, again, like I said, streamlined to the point where... There's no filler. Everything matters. Even the side quests when you're dealing with like Lucas' backstory or uh, trying to resolve Cyrus's story with a frog and everything. Those are important side quests that just affect every character's story and all that. Mm. Even the rewards, to be honest, are very not that. I mean, they're okay lah for your equipment and whatnot, but you don't care about that because, like you said, the story itself is paramount to how Chrono Trigger works. Like the consequences of altering time, but and at the same time what you need to do actually stop this Lavos motherfucker from destroying the entire planet, you know? <laughs> well, uh, also, 
badass dragon bridge. Oh, that was a fun fight. Oh, that was... <laughs> oh, and then it was actually superseded by a badass ty- black tyrannosaur fight later on as well mm-hmm. in the past. Yep. Uh, much love. I mean, want to mention also... Yeah, I mean, since you mentioned it, right? How mind-blowing that time travel mechanic was because yeah, yeah. at that point of time, it's like when you played an art, uh, a JRPG, you're definitely locked into a world. And then I think for me, this was definitely one of the few instances where a game proposed the, the idea where like, not only does this, not only are you gonna explore this gigantic world, I mean, gigantic by standards then, but you explored it on multiple timelines, and that every action you make or the decisions you make will alter how your game will proceed and not yep. only that is like you know i mean it was that beautiful attention to detail you know with the dialogue changes from each different time period with, like everything. even items like appearing and disappearing like you, you had to leave yep. if you left it in this chest and then you came back and went to the future it's still in the chest <laughs> yeah remember that time when you had robo stay back in a particular time period oh god and i kind of cried man he was and, he built, and he built the forest and everything and then you wake him up <laughs> it was kind of cute oh man yeah. that was so adorable <laughs> yeah yeah it was he so tried cool. to rebuild the world so cute robo yep, you're the yep. guy uh, the i mean i mean I don't think it's also nostalgia glasses because I would say like this was exceptional storytelling, this was exceptional yeah. world building, character development, uh, very strong arcs. I mean, you did definitely you know fall in love with these characters. You did kind of feel for them, and want to give props to where props is due again. Probably one of the most interesting bad guys ever. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Magus or Lavos, uh, both or Queen Zeal. <laughs> okay, yeah, we can talk about all of them. You know, but... or Queen or or Queen Zeal. Yeah, uh, she was a bad guy. I don't know, I mean, like, uh, let's also mention the fact that it was Lavos, right, that you met at the c- cathedral very early in the game. Yep, yep. And then I think you met a baby version of it at the uh, prehistoric era, was it, when he landed? Mm-hmm. After you beat Tyranno or something? I don't quite remember. Shit. I mean, nah, it's been a while. I mean, the last yeah, time we played this game was back in the 90s, boys. But I remember the best part of Lavos to actually experience his true terror was uh, when, when you actually ended up in the corridors of time area, uh, the Kingdom of Zeal. Mm-hmm. This was like, uh, and then when you first met Vegas as a little baby, and uh, a little kid, and then a lot of plot stuff happened, and then Queen Zeal actually just wanted her country to be the best ever with magic, yep. so she had this thirst to actually unleash Lavos, awaken the monster, and then when she did it, and had to fight Lavos, that was like, whoa, you actually had to kill him at the spot right now, you know? Yeah. And at the time, there was no FAQ, there was no magazine that could read and all that, I was like, Holy shit, how am I gonna kill this guy? And turns out, yeah, after he just wiped my wiped the party and then all that plot stuff happened. And then in the final act of uh, heroism, Chrono basically stood in front of the lightning blast like Lavos was gonna do. And then that's it, you had no main character as soon as you get after after the dust is cleared. Chrono was killed. Yep. That was very surprising, honestly, when I saw that for the first time ever. And there was no turning back. <laughs> yeah. That was the game well, from then on. Yes, that was like, but that actually happened, and I don't know what to do. Apparently, the story just went on. Yeah. And that was actually way, a key wait, point uh, in the game, uh, yeah. Sorry, guys. If you haven't played Chrono Trigger, spoilers. <laughs> oh, whoops. Sorry about that. <laughs> a game that came out in 1995. Uh, if you wanted yes. to be blown away by a game, right? Uh, you should have played it before you listened to us. Yeah, There's nothing going to be. There's going to be nothing but a gush fest here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like... At that point in time, when you're at the brink of time, the crossroads, it's like the game still proceeded. That was very surprising because you could actually finish the game without even resurrecting or saving Chrono during that particular time period. Mm-hmm, yeah. You could actually just have Mal, Luca, and Robo just 
killing levels, you know, or whatnot, or even recruit Magus or whatnot, and go from there. Mm-hmm. That's the mind-blowing thing. Like, you did not know you could do this back then. There were so many possibilities after that very crucial moment. This was very new I mean, for JRPGs. You know what, what I totally miss also, which is very not uh, ex- existent in modern RPGs, is that the whole multiple endings vibe. I mean, like, oh, even yes. something like Witcher 3 has two or three possible outcomes, uh, but one main, like, narrative outcome overall. Whereas something like Chrono Trigger is like, no, you you have not only multiple endings, but multiple narrative endings. You know, it's yes. totally dependent on the choices you made and the people you partied with. And also the the things you did in the past or in the future or in the yeah. that weird middle section where or things Or even go. when you defeated Lavos when you first which which time period you killed Lavos at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause speaking of which, um when you actually finish a game, when you got your very first ending there's an actual option where you can actually start the game again mm-hmm. with your stats, with your equipment, with your level. Yeah, so, so... we're gonna say that uh, we call it here. I mean, I mean, it's been kind of made, made official. You can definitely just Wikipedia this, but yeah, this is the first game that introduced the concept of New Game Plus. Yes. And uh, traditionally, I mean, what people understand for New Game Plus, New Game Plus is you keep your stats, you keep your items, you keep whoever party survived or whatever that was left off from the last game, and you get to redo the whole game all over again with all of these things intact. Now, we do understand that the idea of replaying a game twice uh, Has existed. Has been done before. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay shoutouts to, you know, uh, Ghosts and Goblins, shoutout to maybe even Legend of Zelda. Mm-hmm. But I would say this is the definitive first ever New Game Plus game. And, I mean, especially for a guy like me, after, I mean, if you shell out like a hundred bucks for a video game and then and you want to get the most out of and it and you want to get the most out of it and the thing is it was promised multiple endings uh, according to the game pro I read you know, I didn't know I didn't think that there would be multiple endings I thought like oh, this was such a downer and like oh, actually if you did it another way you would have a totally different ending and I would say this would be the stuff of legend because way before the internet and again one of the reasons why I was championing this game is because uh, when you were telling your friends about it and then all of a sudden like oh, uh, so did you go, go p- to this area? Oh, what are you talking about? No, no, if you do this and this and this, this happens. No, 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 I, I got a totally different game. Yeah, and you then, gotta go to the fun y- fair to get that one ending. It kind of you for a bit because you thought to yourself, wait, how did that happen? Are you sure that happened? And then you, you like you started to like, you know, uh, distrust your friends and then you go to their place and you see their safe file and like, huh? <laughs> and then it's like, I mean, again, a guy, uh, early teens, mid-teens, mind blown is like, this yeah. game. When it turns out that your friends are telling the truth, and like, apparently this game I, has do, multiple. Do endings. I have yeah. a, a bad copy of the game? Do you, do, is is there something going on? And then it was like, revealed, like, well, this game has multiple paths, multiple endings, and then came that thing. I was like, I got to see all those endings now. <laughs> yeah. I got to know every possibility. Wait, you can beat Lavos the first time, the second time round, yeah. at the cathedral. <laughs> what happens yeah. if you do that? Ah, find out. <laughs> yep. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I like. I mean, a lot of people who complain about JRPG's linearity, they kind of have to look at Kuro Trigger to be proven wrong because I think they just followed the templates of what other CRPG... I don't think even Baldur's Gate was even out back then at the time. No, much this later. This was 1995, yeah. Baldur's yeah, Gate was, was definitely 97. Like, 97, yeah, 96. Yeah. It was, this was definitely a year earlier because Baldur's so, Gate... Mm, probably, nah, definitely after this, so sorry. Yeah, so again, to have this, kind, this many endings with multiple playthroughs and this... 
new game plus concept was like again mind blown back in the day mind blown, and, yeah. even, and even when I played on the PS1 I was like holy shit this is awesome you know why can't other JRPGs have this stuff or be shorter you know yeah. no, I wouldn't call it short I would call it uh, a finely tuned machine everything all the moving parts are exactly where they need to be yeah yeah like no filler everything has a point you yeah. know there are no dead, there's no dead air basically and I will yeah. say this also right I mean in terms of how a lot of people complain about backtracking it's like imagine backtracking but you're in a different timeline it's yeah. a totally uh, different world where you when you when you replay certain areas again like yeah sure this all of this looks like I've been here before but why does it's it different, why doesn't you know? it make sense now you know yeah mm-hmm. and and beautifully done because they showed you uh, I think something that definitely affected me was in a lot of video games uh, you as the hero or you as the protagonist uh, your whole thing is basically either to save the princess get the magical item and prevent the bad stuff from happening and for me this was probably one of the few times where a video game no 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 we're gonna show you what happens if there was a bad ending we're gonna show you exactly what happens if you fail your mission this is the bleak narrative and that was something that I mean I was very impressionable then and I just recalled like feeling that that desolation and that despair you know like this is what, it's one of the few games that literally affected my heart and like it, it affected uh, me as a person and uh, I mean yeah props again to the dream team I mean if you have like such technicians and artists putting together I would say one of the most immaculate storylines Yes, yes, visionaries and everyone. Very hard to, to like even say like, is there any other modern video game, or even games between Chrono Trigger till now? Like, is there anything that had this kind of level of depth in storytelling? I would say you know there are a few close contenders, but Chrono Trigger, nah, still to me the the holy high the, the holy high benchmark of like how to be how to establish narrative in video games and how to get. I would say player involvement and you know definitely an emotional manipulation. I think we should also mention about what makes Chrono Trigger really, really. I mean, sublime. I mean, we've talked about the art, we talk about the gameplay, but the music—it's always got to be the music that brings everything together too. Mm. And this is actually just one instance where the history behind this game's music is a little more interesting per se, because um, the composer Yos- uh, Yasunori Mitsuda. He has famously mentioned that if he did not work on Chrono Trigger, no career. he wanted to quit yeah. gaming and quit Squaresoft at the time. So they basically humored him and then they caved to his ultimatum. And then he basically worked tirelessly to make sure that Chrono Trigger's music was perfect. Mm. To the point where he got ill halfway and needed Nobu Uematsu to help him out halfway through the project. I mean, he put his heart and soul into it. I mean, he gave his body to this game. And this was actually his first composition work for the game. He was a sound engineer. He was just doing the audio, sound effects, and tweaking levels here and there for the SFX chip, yeah. you know? So him to, to, for him to have the debut this strong, it's like... I don't know any other Japanese artist who actually made a really strong debut, you know? I like, from their it, first game. I will give it to Yuzo Koshiro. Yuzo Koshiro, Yuzo Koshiro had he did... a uh, very impressive debut. Uh, Yeast? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, yeah, true that, true that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was extremely impressive to me. Like, Yuzo Koshiro... Okay. Second guy, second I mean, the, These guy. are the two guys yeah. to me. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah. when people complain about 16-bit like music, it's like, have you not heard the works of like Yuzo Koshiro? And, uh, yeah. It's like, are you kidding? Yasunori Mitsuda? It's like, yeah, yeah. 
listen to soundtracks. I mean, like, I would say this right. Uh, not only the music, but the sound design. Like, just even when you boot up the game and you hear that TikTok oh, of the, the pendulum oh going back and yeah, forth, and that sense of foreboding, and like, basically, I mean, how it establishes the mood of the game straight away. And also, like, the thematic elements of time, which was represented in the intro. Yes. You know, it's like, even then, it's like, th- that was a high level of artistry that, I mean, maybe my younger self didn't recognize, but now looking back as, a, as an adult, as a, and more as a connoisseur and critique of a, a lot of uh, video games and, you know, artistic mediums, it's like, like when, you, when you look back at it and then you realize, oh my god, all of this... Like, uh, I would say, everything just wraps into itself, you know? Everything is just perfectly tied in and seamless. And, uh, I would say, I don't know, uh, what's your favorite song, sir? <laughs> oh, that's easy. It's probably when you first enter the Kingdom of Zeal, Corridors of Time played. Mm. And Jesus Christ, this is actually like, you, 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 when you hear it, like, with the whole drums and everything and the synth being used that Yasunori Mitsuda used, you felt that, yeah, this is actually a song in that kind of time period. You can't actually put your put your mind in place to see what where this music is from, but it feels very alien, very mystical. But at the same time, there's some foreboding danger going on with the whole plot of Queen Zeal and whatnot. Yeah, putting... But at the same time, it's very harmonious, but at the same time, mysterious, per se. I would say it's putting uh, that Yamaha sound chip to good use. Yes. <laughs> it's really pushing the boundaries of what that little uh, sucker could do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we got the main theme, which everyone remembers. Fuck, I love yes. You know, also, I love about the main theme, especially if you boot up the game for the very first time, and then you just yep. see... Uh, I mean, it like back then, like there was very little to do when it came to introducing a game because all you had to do was what you call your demo mode where they would just show gameplay and then they would just show maybe like an intro cutscene or a title cut but even the so-called the demo play the 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 the, the, what you call the the demo store like the attract screen right the The attract attract screen screen. it's like and they picked some of the best like battles they picked uh that amazing sequence in the cathedral when you see uh that, that that strange vertical effect Yes. And also, uh, we're gonna give some uh, shine to the Mode Seven graphics when you're flying around it. You know, uh, I would say uh, on the epoch, the epoch. Yeah. yeah. And I was like thinking to myself, is like, well, oh, this is one of those games that does all these things. Like, uh, color me curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then when they had that theme playing when you first mm. open up the ship, it was like, oh wow, this is like an adventure kind of music. Say, yeah. yeah. So it's like different varies. Like you got like your choirs, you've got like your gothic stuff, you even got like your creepy forest music when you're entering the forest for the first time very mysterious stuff and that very badass song that um, Nobuo Uematsu did for the prehistoric age when you're wandering around the castle oh, you know, okay. it starts off like a horror film and then it becomes more like this escalating danger and tension coming in yeah definitely I mean each song definitely addressed the mood and also yeah, more to do with the emotional manipulation it really puts and you and then when you fight Magus my god yeah. that theme was horrifying it puts you into the song. frame of mind of exactly what these characters were going through and I would say yes uh, immaculate in terms of uh, OST and sound design and uh, I don't know I mean if you want to say, like, I mean, we've covered the graphics, we've covered definitely the songs, we've covered the characters, the story, the gameplay, the controls. It is very hard for me to find anything wrong with this game. Exactly, yeah. It is, it's... to me, a near-perfect game. And the thing is, like, I always abide by the rule, right? Like, I can't ever give anything a perfect 10 because there's no such thing as the perfect game. But this is among the pantheon of, for me, of, like, no, this is definitely a perfect 10. Anything more or less would ruin it. This is... 
absolutely what it needed to be in every yeah. sense of the word. And I don't. I mean, for you, definitely. I mean, you did. I mean, I'm not saying late to the party, but when you did experience it in all its entirety. Yes. I mean, I did actually. I did actually play uh, the Super Nintendo version of it eventually with the cartridge and whatnot, mm. and it's the most sublime RPG experience I've witnessed and played because. I would say that Chrono Trigger is a timeless game, pardon the pun, but again, you show this to any game designer, like how to build the perfect RPG. Yeah. Chrono Trigger would definitely be This is there. the blueprint. This is like, if yeah, you want to yeah. make the perfect RPG, something that will stand the test of time, do it like that. It, it, yeah, it exists, yeah. you know, use it as a benchmark. Uh, I mean, I mean okay, this is something that will definitely, I want to attest to, is the fact that when I would say maybe two years later or three years later when the emulator scene started popping up this was the very first ROM I had to download <laughs> of course of course oh my god me playing this on my Windows 98 PC back in the day on an emulator and like oh the nostalgia like oh god uh, I mean technically it was Contra 3 for me but yeah Chrono Trigger was definitely there it was this, it was this and definitely all those Neo Geo ROMs that I, I have yeah. oh god uh, so Chrono Trigger definitely in every yeah, if, you can, if you can find a way to play a perfect version of it, either get the cartridge or, yeah. or cartridge, play it. Yeah. I would say, yeah, I mean, but I think it's going for pretty high on eBay, right? You're going to get about a few hundred, 300, you 400 get a box used. edition, right? Yeah. yeah, used, used. Even used. If you want to find a mint version, that's really tough. I mean, uh, I would say this uh, definitely, in, the, in not only one of the greatest RPGs of all times, but definitely one of the greatest games of all times. Yeah, true that, true that. Yeah, so I mean, Last King fans, uh, we've gushed enough about Chrono Trigger. Please do your best to find yourself a copy and play it. If you have to do the emulator version, sure. Please do that. There, That's fine too. There are other versions. Okay, I mean, we need to also kind of mention like, okay, there is the PC remaster, re release, and the phone version, which has problems because it was catering to a certain uh, user input system. It's like basically. If you just, it's a mobile port, basically. It's a mobile port, and I think the PC port did nothing more than just, uh, like you know, port over the port, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there. I mean, if you want to say easily available version of this, where would we get it? I mean, is it available? You could get the DS version because it had an extra dungeon, which doesn't really add much. But at the same time, the original game is still inside on the Nintendo so, Game Store, right? DS, DS, yeah. Mm. Uh, there's a cartridge for that. Yeah, that would be also another perfect version because again, you get the Toriyama cutscenes and then you get the original game. Is this available so. in the eShop? Like something you can play on a Switch or something at this day and age? Uh, I don't remember, no. Because I only know that the port for the game exists. There's, I guess if you play it on WiiWare, maybe you could if you had the Wii still. Wii U? On or? The, the, the eShop. The, yeah, the Wii. The first Wii. Hmm. With the eShop and everything because they had the classics. Remember that? Oh man, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh well, good stuff. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't think it is available in the eShop though. Yeah, so I guess after talking about what the magic of Chrono Trigger was, we're gonna have to touch upon the sequel, Chrono Cross. Okay. Shall we do that? Yeah, we do. Right. Speaking of the PlayStation era. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's describe the climate. So this was between 1995 and 1999, where. The PlayStation 1 obviously reigned supreme. Sorry, Saturn, but PlayStation 1 won <laughs> this mm. battle for the console wars here and there. 
And Squaresoft was basically doing a lot of great stuff ever since they released FF7. Yeah. They had enough money, I guess not to burn lah, they have enough money to start experimenting. So they weren't just doing big blockbuster RPGs like uh, Xenogears and FF8 or your Legend of Mana. They were also doing Parasite Eve, their take on survival horror, mm-hmm. uh, Bushido Blade, their fighting game, their take on fighting games, yeah. Einhander and Urgeis as well. <laughs> their different takes on games here and there. So, so many classics. Yeah, yeah. So many weird experiments that, you know, they kind of, I'm not sure if they aged well over time because I haven't replayed them for a while, but you could see that Squaresoft was really doing their best to be relevant, you know. And, you know, just being what a company should be. Innovative. Just releasing whatever they can. Not just in Japanese, but in English as well. Mm. And they have a lot of clout, per se. And I guess the Super Nintendo wasn't really used that. I mean, I think it was gone by that time, you know. No, it was still like, around. It was on his last legs, definitely. But it was yeah, definitely I, the era of the P. The, the PlayStation and the PC was definitely on the come up because this was yeah. the the era of like RTS games and FPS games. Yeah. Uh, but we also need to add that small caveat that uh, probably one of the greatest backstabs of all time is when oh Square is moving to the PlayStation. They're not going to be appearing on a Nintendo console anymore. Oh Which yes, that broke very a lot biggest. of hearts because for a lot of people, uh, we were all getting pretty hyped for the sixty-four, or Nintendo sixty-four. Yes, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, for all you Westerners, yeah, you have your golden eye, but we were like thinking, oh, we can't wait for the next Final Fantasy. Wait, what? Final <laughs> Fantasy is moving to the Sony console because yeah. they want to have a bigger story, and the only way to achieve that is to put things on a CD and not on a cartridge. How yeah. could you do this to a square? So there was a lot of, I would say, not uh, backlash. But, but to be bitterness. fair, Nintendo backstabbed them first when they made the announcement in one of the E3. Oh yeah, consumer electronic shows. They, back they in the were day. they were definitely telling. Not, how did they call backstab Square? Uh, they were supposed to. No, no, not Square. They backstabbed Sony PlayStation. I was talking then, about Square, sir. Oh, Square Enix. I believe they joined in the fray later on. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah because basically, sure. like, uh, I mean, one of the biggest, uh, I would say, uh, one of the most memorable moments in gaming is when Square announced that Final Fantasy VII was gonna be a PlayStation exclusive on a CD. On yes. a CD. And the thing is, their logic was totally creative because they felt like uh, we could not do the vision we wanted to do on like the cartridge system that Nintendo sixty four was gonna be. But also props to where props to do. Nintendo 64, I mean Mario 64 kind of was uh, one of the first games that nailed uh, 3D platforming very early on. So a totally different episode for that. But I would say, uh, yeah, I would say like, as we were mentioning earlier, there was a bit of a console war. I hate using that term, but there was yeah, definitely yeah. a division. In, in but the but it happened, but it happened. And then like, you know, a third player entered the party. So it was... Sega, Nintendo, and now this Sony. Sony's yeah, making PlayStation. Video what the hell yeah. is this PlayStation? It'll never take off CDs. Yeah. What? You're putting games onto stuff that I listen to music on? That'll never work. And boy, nobody, they were wrong. Nobody they saw were this coming. I mean, it's very hard to explain that huh? because, like, right now, there hasn't been any serious like revolutions in video gaming. I mean, uh, the only thing I can say that was close, uh, but close but no cigar, would like there was a, that whole VR thing that was going on for a while as a kind of a revolution in gaming. But because of its high price point entry, nobody's ever gonna follow down this track. And then even before that, it was 3D gaming. And then even before yeah, that, it was like motion gaming. It's like. Uh, I mean, yeah, but to have like the music makers of the Walkman coming into the video game console that yeah. was like really weird at the time but 
it worked. It completely. I mean, completely I would dominated. say this also, right? Uh, a lot of people like right now. The current conversation is like everybody's kind of making fun of Google. Like <laughs> Google doesn't know how to make video games. How is Stadia gonna survive? I mean, you have to understand, right? What this company that makes Discman CD players that you like portable CD players and televisions are gonna make video games? They'll never figure things out. And then, like, you have to understand that, like, there are multi-million-dollar company on a global level. Like, okay, I get it, Sony. Uh, uh, sure, they 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 wants to push technology because you have to understand that it's like you know they had the best TVs, they had the best uh, uh portable CD players back then, and like you know, uh, I guess Nintendo didn't know what kind of a fight they were gonna go in for. Because like as they as like Nintendo and Sega were too busy like you know fighting in in the backyard right, and then Sony was just paying attention and like yeah we're just gonna go over here and steal your thunder for a hot second. Yes. So yeah. So I mean, uh, definitely when it comes to the atmosphere, when it comes to how uh, like the mindset of gamers at that point of time, there was definitely very clear divisions in not only uh, consoles and not only hardware, but also in different types of gaming because you also have to understand that this was like in this era like arcades were still a thing okay quake was definitely a thing uh starcraft was about to happen yes yes and then there were so many distractions which would lead to the ultimate probably to me uh definitely uh, a landmark in uh media not just video games but in the media itself it's like when 1997 dropped and then like Everybody was like, okay, nobody was prepared for this. Yeah. And say. meanwhile, and meanwhile in Japan, 1996, mm-hmm. around that period, uh, one of Chrono Trigger's writers, Masato Kato, was actually creating and published this game under SquareSoft called Radical Dreamers. In the, it's basically a visual novel, more or less, but it was actually for a specific tool called the Satellite View for the Super Nintendo. Mm. So he kind of wanted to expand it on this story since 1997 when it came out. So he figured... With this new platform, the PlayStation, and a lot of people clamoring for another Chrono game, the project started, like, yes, uh, it was him, along with the guy who did the battle system for the Secret of Mana games, mm, uh, yeah, yeah. Hiromichi Tanaka, yeah, the Mana series guy. So they both teamed up because uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi was doing Final Fantasy before he left. Oh, yeah. And, he was uh, busy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Mitsuda was still uh, around. Uh, he mostly freelancing, I believe, yeah. So, yeah, these two guys were the main guys doing the. Chrono, the, the upcoming Chrono project, more or less. So, a couple of years later, Chrono Cross was announced with a bunch of like previews and uh, from different magazines here and there, like a year prior to its release. And uh, I guess a lot of people were hyped with the a different lot of people, art direction. A lot of people were definitely because it's like we had like maybe three like Final Fantasies before another Chrono game. Yep, yep. And it is like, uh, I mean, it's very hard to explain this also to the younger fans, but Chrono Trigger left a mark on a lot of games. And like when you promise a sequel, probably one of the greatest JRPGs of all time, I would say this right: the expectations were soaring. You know, yes, they were very, very high. And then you have it- to also add to the fact that okay, not only did you need to do a sequel to Chrono Trigger, this is the era of like oh, everything needs to be 3D graphics now. Everything needs to be a 3D everything game. Everything needs to be yeah, not just a 3D game, but it has to be I guess on par with Final Fantasy VII and better because yeah, Final Fantasy VII left a mark. <laughs> yeah, it was basically a mark they created that was a benchmark they set up that was too high per se. Because of FF7's uh, success, yeah. global success, every other JRPG maker, even Square Soft themselves were like, 
how am I going to top my own game, you know? Yeah, and like, not only that, it's like you had with the kind of prestige of an IP like say Chrono Trigger, mm-hmm. yeah, not only did you need to meet your own expectations, but fan expectations. Because it's like, if you're going to do something as good as Final Fantasy VII in the Chrono Trigger universe, we can't wait. We're all here with bated breath waiting to be blown away. So you can imagine the kind of pressure these guys were on when they were trying to yeah. put this game together. And I think that is also extremely evident in the outcome, sadly. I, I wouldn't say yeah, sadly, yeah. but I would say... Uh, I mean, I'll call it for what it is. Chrono Cross... Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's an exceptional video game. It is definitely... I mean, I wouldn't say greatest of all time, but probably one of the most... I would say an essential uh, PlayStation-era game for you to experience. But um, there's something about it that I would have to admit is extremely lacking. And I don't, I mean, we're going to go further into discussion, but maybe... Uh, how about this, Mr. Toffee? Let's set the precedent for what this game aimed to do. And also, in terms of the things that we loved about Chrono Trigger, basically the narrative, the graphics, uh, definitely the sound design. I mean, okay, okay. We, we can just start with maybe the story, which I think people are a little bit... Uh, I would say it's it's a bit polarizing what they decided to do with the narrative. I think what Masato Kato was trying to do with Chrono Cross was basically create a bigger Radical Dreamers because he didn't want the story of Chrono to end as a visual novel. He wanted to create something big. Mm. So he had ambitions to make sure that this is a definitive sequel to a game he created alongside the luminaries we mentioned earlier on. Mm. So when he created and drafted the story, he didn't want to actually do a rehash of Chrono Trigger like, oh, this is set new kids, except we do more time traveling. So he took a different route. He instead decided to create the, the plot line where basically you have an alternate timeline that exists if a particular character did not exist. So this is where the story is focused on. You control a kid named Serge in his home world where basically you're living off your adventures to help, you know, impress your girlfriend. So you got to collect a bunch of like stuff here and there. Very similar to the first Chrono Trigger. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> When it started, when he ended up at the beach, he ended up being teleported elsewhere. Another alternative timeline where Serge died when he was a little baby and whatnot. And the timeline basically continued on without him. So he came across a kid named, uh, a girl named Kid, who kind of tells him, I can help you escape this timeline. And then you can choose to actually have her on board or not. And then you follow up. What follows is a very, very in-depth and also convoluted adventure about fate about existence and nihilism per se that follows on through mm-hmm. which is also i mean it's got some parallels because uh we're also on the brink of reviewing death stranding so when it comes to like okay grand ambitions so i mean uh, we're not gonna fault him for trying but we are yeah, yeah. in fact we're not gonna fault him at all but i also i mean if you put myself in the position of somebody like, okay, how do I follow up? Not only Final Fantasy, but also Chrono Trigger. But also Trigger. Chrono Trigger, yeah. Okay, and the thing is like, okay, I mean, also in parallel, like at the same time, like you can imagine George Lucas promised people new Star Wars movies around the same time. Okay, yeah. this was the time of the re-release of the Star Wars films. Okay, the digitally enhanced version. Like, uh, okay, I got complaints about that also. But, I mean, in, in any ways, it's like, um, I mean, this is not a story of... Uh, game failing this is more of a story of like people who were dedicated oh. I mean like I would say the original team for Chrono Trigger it was definitely stars aligned and yeah, I mean like yeah, there yeah. was definitely a moment where you know everything that 
was supposed to happen to make this game perfect, all the pieces fell into place at the exact moment. Whereas in this situation, there is a sense of like grand ambition, high expectation, and I'm not saying they, they missed the mark, but I think there was a, it became a bit of a distraction. It kind of needed those extra guys like Hironobu to, to, to direct it or even mm, another secret battle planner sauce. to help out. Yeah. yeah, because Masato Kato, as much as the story of the game is, in a way, faithful to keeping the Chrono uh, timeline going on, albeit, albeit in a very depressing manner, mm. it failed he in the gaming department. I think I would say he, he wanted to be brave with it and then he didn't yeah. want to be stifled by maybe like too much of the fandom, probably. Yeah, because when you look at it after playing it so many times, especially like this year on an emulator, the story is basically like what happens if what could have been, especially when you want to actually have to change the world and save the world, when you're not even supposed to exist in the first place. So mm. it explores that theme very well. But again, you kind of have to probably play it once or twice just to get everything, which is kind of a disservice of a game of that magnitude too lah. Because I think it was about like less than 30 hours per se, so slightly longer than Chrono Trigger, that's for sure. But Especially with some of the padding they put in. I, w I wouldn't call it padding. I mean, it didn't overstay as welcome as well, but I think there was also uh, room for experimentation because, I mean, if you want to compare something that would fit on a cartridge and something that would fit on a CD, I mean, yeah. we're talking megabytes, okay? And I know that sounds really small in today's day and age when everything... It's pretty can, huge back then, dude. You know, yeah. back then, like, a cartridge uh, would hold, I think, max maybe two megabytes or some, or even a little bit more. And then, like, you know, when you were promised a CD which had 700 megabytes. And then, like, not only that, you could, like, uh, imprint, like, WAV files for your sound files. You know, you didn't need to compress anything anymore. Uh, and they were experimenting with polygons and 3D graphics. I mean, it's very rudimentary for what it was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they also had to put in the same kind of care and dedication to not only new technology and... I mean, you have to understand, like, back then when it had to do something like Chrono Trigger, it was definitely coloring boxes on a pixel board. Whereas, like, something like Chrono Trigger, you have to play with things like shading, dynamic light, uh, basically just, like, you know, yeah, it's very blocky, it's very triangular, but for its time, it was mind-blowing. It was very pretty, and yeah. the crazy thing about this game is it did not look like Chrono Trigger in a way at all, because, again, apart from the different uh, artists for the characters and whatnot, it was also the art style. It was, there was a one where a somber, there was a more somber, a more melancholy, Mediterranean kind of art style where everything is like sort of free and easy, except when it comes to like the futuristic alternate timelines of the world itself because you're on a boat you're basically shifting around in continents so it kind of had to match that aesthetic per se I think so also do you want to maybe also uh, could it be because of the era because you have to also I mean like Last King fans maybe you may not understand this but like 1995 was the year like Kurt Cobain killed himself and then we mm -hmm. entered that, that was the true start of the angsty 90s you know I mean, like, uh, new metal, like, corn would appear, Nine Inch Nails, everything was being more aggressive, a little bit darker. And this was also the era of the, the gritty reboot. You know what I mean? Like, hey, we, uh, everything is dark, everything is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say nihilistic, but, I mean, we were definitely, in 1999, like, the one thing everybody was talking about was, like, Y2K. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that's also influenced yeah. the story. And then in a also sense, at the know? same time, it's like you know there was also a, a rise in technology, which like a lot of people were very apprehensive about because it was like this was also like the rise of electronic music and techno. Yeah. And like the prodigy was exploding, Fatboy Slim, and then things were becoming more digital. Things were losing a little bit of its analog feel. So I would also say like when it comes to the aesthetics of Chrono Cross, I think it was definitely a product of its time because if you look at anything that was made in like the midnight mid to the late 90s yeah there yeah. is definitely like something that i would say i mean i wouldn't say totally angsty about uh, chrono cross but i do agree with you it had a what 90s people would consider a more mature theme like something yeah, yeah. a little bit more uh i mean i hate to say it but it had a bit of more attitude you know and uh, probably for Kid and Links, but not so much to rest of the characters. Yeah, but I mean, even in terms of like world design and just like, uh, I mean, the atmosphere itself, you could feel like this is a 90s game. Yeah, yeah. It felt way more melancholy. Very, yeah. I mean, still very steeped in its whole Mediterranean kind of style. Yeah. Which is why everyone looks like they just came out from the island, which they all did anyway. Like half your cast in the game are all basically like native dudes and... Um, sock puppets, I think, or dogs or some shit. Nah, not really. Like that was... A- yeah, there was a dog you could recruit early in the game if you gave him a bone early. Yeah, Give a dog crazy. a bone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, the cra- yeah, that's also one thing that this game had a problem with, access. Like, because it had to actually super su- succeed what did what they did for FF7, they need to add in things. I honestly felt that the huge cast for Chrono Cross wasn't really needed. You only need, like, what? Five characters, and then everyone else is fair game, per se. Because of the characters you meet, you can actually recruit them from the dog I mentioned to... Lucky Dan, the voodoo doll you come across for some puzzles and shit. And uh, even Glenn and um, a guy who looks like Magus but not quite wearing a mask. Mm. And a few other characters here and there. You could recruit them, but again, what was the point apart from you know having an extra person with the elemental for your battle system? There wasn't really a point. Like the only characters who mattered were Surge, Kid, Lynx, Harl, and... I think that's about it. Those four characters who actually revolve the world revolves around them more or less. Could it also? I don't know. I mean, this is me just hypothesizing, right? But it also could be something to do with the fact that you were given all this space now, because back then everything was limited to what you could fit onto a cartridge, and then when you were to give you something like a CD, and the medium is hundreds of times like yes, bigger. you have way more things you could work with, and. I feel, I mean, this is just me, like, I mean, it's just a theory, but it could have been, like, okay, everything that they worked on, uh, like, something like Chrono Trigger, there were definitely elements that they had to cut out, they had to kind of streamline, they had to, like, okay, we, we can't have all of this concept art, we can't have this extra world, because you did mention that in the remaster, re-release, there was an extra dungeon. Yeah. yeah, okay. That was probably uh, lying somewhere in the in the square archives. Like, hey, we have this extra stage. People would probably, you know, be interested into that. Whereas something like Chrono Cross is like, oh, we still got space on the CD. Like, I just put everything in. Yeah, and I would yeah. say, like, I mean, it did leave room to experimentation, and it did leave a lot of room for people to. I mean, there was a lack of restriction, probably, which is something they they were not used to for the for the first time ever. Because like something like Final Fantasy VII, I mean, as much of a landmark game it is, uh, I mean, a lot of the megabytes was definitely dedicated to like cutscenes cut and scenes. music, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. And it, it, like Chrono Cross didn't have as much cutscenes, but it had a lot more game, and I would a say it felt a little bit unfocused. I would say, mm, I mean, I, that, I wouldn't call it padding. I would call it more along the lines of like they put everything in and they 
like because they were not limited by the space constraints they were like might as well just leave it in you know I mean we, we, we made it sell it yep. yeah so I think uh, in terms of maybe the fan reaction it's like uh, maybe okay on a personal level when I played Chrono Cross I was dead excited and hyped to be playing a sequel to Chrono Trigger and I think I was caught up in the hype too because like you know when I got the PlayStation back then I mean besides Final Fantasy and uh, every other reason to get a PlayStation of course there was also the fact that okay it's a new Chrono game it's one of those games I mean, I'm confessing right now it's like I did not know why I didn't like it but I felt a sense of like there's something lacking about this and I was definitely debating with myself thinking like uh, no it's bigger there's so much more to do there's so much more like, there's all, all this extra stuff and I couldn't quite explain because like uh, if you recall what I mentioned earlier about Chrono Trigger there was something about that game especially from the very beginning to maybe even like 2 hours in 10 hours in right everything uh, felt complete it not only just felt complete but it captured this essence of my imagination and it enticed me enthralled me and it made me want to push like to push the, uh, to play the game whereas something like Chrono Cross like I wouldn't say tedious but it felt like uh, it wasn't hard to put the game down mm -hmm. something like Chrono Trigger you had to see what happened next you had to go to the next section you had to see where this was going Whereas Chrono Cross, there were moments where basically, oh, I, I, maybe I just pause this right here and then I'll come back to it. You know what I mean? There was there was that missing like X factor that, like I mean, Chrono Trigger. I mean, I'll say it, anybody who plays it, okay, any fan of RPGs, you and even if you never played Chrono Trigger, there's a, this sweet addictive quality about it, which I think is totally missing in Chrono Cross. And I mean, I was battling with myself. I was thinking like. Why don't I like this as much as I should? That's an easy question because the battle system in Chrono Cross wasn't that good in retrospect. Oh yeah, it's kind of clunky. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. and they were experimenting with 3D stuff, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah. 3D like... and the fact that the characters when you fight, they were actually kind of static like a typical turn-based game back in the PlayStation era where in Chrono Trigger, everyone, every the creatures were kind of moving, they were positioning themselves mm. and you kind of had to find that correct timing to do your spinning slash move from Chrono or have it being powered by fire from that sweet, uh, Luna, like, uh, Luca and everything. That Dungeons and Dragons grid system, right? Yeah, so it's like yeah. turn-based but real-time in Chrono Trigger. Chrono Cross, it was completely turn-based to a fault. Mm. I mean, and then there was a color system that actually bolstered your your elemental if you actually filled up the entire circle of red or blue or whatnot. Yeah. But even then, that also needs a bit of explanation because there were also some other elements in play that you need to experiment here and there. Are you gonna say that maybe it's uh like you know overburdening it with all these mechanics and like extra stuff? I mean because we did mention that this was definitely an opportunity for them to really push the limits of what they could do, especially since like there was no more space constraints. Yeah, and that, that's a big hearty yes. The yes to your the yes to your question. Yeah, basically. so like, do you maybe agree with me that Chrono Cross suffers from maybe? Like a director who knew when to rein things in a little bit, when like okay, this feels a little bit too much. Oh, I mean, I would also understand like because around this time is like everybody was hyped about this new technology, and like yeah, PlayStation was definitely like the arrival of the PlayStation. I mean, changed the way we play games forever. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, the way I see it, Masato Kato needed to stay as a writer. We needed someone else as a director because when you're making a video game, you kind of need to make both 
sides, like this narrative and the gameplay, kind of makes sense and gel together. Mm. Again, like Chrono Trigger did. But for Chrono Cross, the story took a bit... I think it actually shined more than the actual gameplay. Because I felt when playing the game again this year, the game itself was quite a, you know... not I won't say it's a huge chore. I mean, I played worse games, but... You could feel that, you know, it felt more like busy work. You weren't really invested so much in the game, but more towards what happens in this timeline, the alternate universe, about what's going to happen to Surge if he does this or that. What happens when, you know, when they switch bodies with links and then everyone turn against you for no good reason, for a good reason and whatnot. You kind of want to find out more from a visual novel perspective. But from a gameplay perspective, it just felt like it's an obstacle, like your reward is the story itself. So it didn't feel like it was gelling together. And again, like I said, Masato Kato was a good storyteller, not so much a good game designer, yeah. or even a good director for that matter. I would say, like, definitely, you felt the that the the Sakaguchi touch was missing because oh, I would yes. say he so was definitely much. essential when it came to. I mean, and it's, I mean, just look at his body of work. Everything his his touch is literally. I mean, not okay, not everything, but uh, yeah, the man can almost do no wrong. Yes, okay, almost. Best. And I'll say, yeah, Mr. Final Fantasy himself. I think maybe the lack of, like, you know, like an elder statesman like Sakaguchi to kind of, like, reign. Like a visionary who can see what happens ahead yeah, of time if I, you I do feel a particular that, thing that way. I think this is just an opportunity for, like, Kato and Mitsuda to, like, okay, let's, you know, run wild and, like, maybe make a name for ourselves. Because I think yeah. maybe they wanted to establish a very different branding. Because it's like, this game... As much as it is within the family of Square Games, I think also probably one of the ambitions was to stay away from the Final Fantasy. I would say uh, the stereotypes, the tropes. Yeah, the yeah. Tropes they didn't. They didn't want to be just like because what Chrono Trigger did especially well was it was not a Final Fantasy game. Okay, as much as it's a Square game, uh, you can't call Chrono Trigger a Final Fantasy game because the Final Fantasy games not only have a very unique aesthetic. And a, a very unique gameplay style. There's some like, like again that secret sauce. Chrono Trigger had that one extra thing that made it stand apart from like all six of the Final Fantasies of its time. Yes. Whereas something like Chrono Cross, I, I guess yeah, there was this definitely this this young man ambition to step away from the shadows of giants and those who came before. And uh, and obviously make a game different from Chrono Trigger, but still retain that mm. Chrono spirit that um. Instead of dealing with time, you know, the past, present, and future, how about we deal with the alternative timeline about what could have been and what couldn't have happened? I mean, this. Which is a nice exploration, per se. I mean, it's a good exploration, but, you know, then again, speaking of parallels, it's much similar to, like, what Rian Johnson's doing with Star Wars. It's like, he's so desperate to try and make it his own thing. Yeah. You're to challenge the troops, yeah. You're kind of gonna annoy the people who love it for what it does well. Yeah. You know, and like there's just some things that I wouldn't say Chrono Trigger is untouchable because I still believe to this day it's in desperate need of a proper sequel. Like, you know, I mean, and I would say this Chrono Cross, I mean, it is a sequel. Uh, I but under- it was a sequel that a lot of people hated because of how, because of the outcome of what happened, especially uh, with some of characters like Luca. Or even that army, remember that little town called Poor? Yeah, yeah. yeah that became a military state in the in Chrono Cross. I mean, I wouldn't say people hated it because I would say uh, left a bad taste in the mouth, I would say. Like, yeah, I mean, the thing is, uh, I don't hate the game. And I am a bit of an apologist when it comes to what Chrono Cross does with the lore and what it established in, in, in Chrono Trigger. 
but I also kind of feel like if you want to do something different, you can. I mean, you can adapt, but please always remember to pay respects to the source material. And I would say, like, I mean, it's something that is, is evident in not only in video games, but also like movies and TV shows. It's like, and Chrono Cross. Uh, it was more like a grown-up Chrono Trigger pseudo sequel thing because yeah. Masato Kato did mention that in a lot of interviews. Like basically, like saying, "Why is it this?" A lot of people were telling him, "Why isn't it the same as Chrono Trigger?" Because he doesn't want to create the same exact rehash again. Yeah. He wanted to create a grown-up, uh, how do you say, like an evolution of Chrono Trigger's very epic yet um, all ages ish kind of story. You I know, would like say, yeah. Very... I mean, like maybe also attesting to the fact that this was released in like you know the very late nineties, close to the, the new millennium. Yes. And yes. I would say, I think, I mean. It's not that he was ignoring the fans. I think he was paying attention to the fans because, like, say fans like me, who played the original Chrono Trigger in my teen years, and then when Chrono Cross came out, this was me, eighteen, about to enter adulthood, and I think he needed to not only match the atmosphere and the aesthetic of the nineties, but also he probably had a very strong understanding of like the maturity of the fans of Chrono Trigger because the ones who would definitely be first in line to buy this when it drops is definitely the guys who played Chrono Trigger the first time. Yes, but yes. they're not the thirteen-year-old kids anymore. They're definitely people who are going to enter their adulthood. And yeah, who, they're in college most likely, right? Yeah, I was in college, and I was like, uh, I mean, back then, it, I think he didn't want to no- nostalgia bait. He wanted to do something that was unique and that would definitely uh, be fine-tuned to match the sensibilities of those who were fans of the game, and also match the sensibilities of what was going around in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's a uh, it's one of those things where maybe it was overdesigned. I think that's yeah. the best way to explain. Like the Chrono Cross is a great game. But it's burdened by so much ambition and expectation, and that's something that just will happen to every sequel. You either yeah, hit like, it out of the park, or you you know you get crushed by the weight of ambition. Yeah, and there's actually a lot of. Uh, I think there's this one little theory I had about um, that actually supports what what we said all the way through. Chrono Trigger has been ported, I guess, for the DS, for the PS One, for the mobile phone, like we mentioned, and also on PC. Mm. Chrono Cross, the only version that came out was probably like the best hits version, like the ones that you release like a year after the game comes out. Yeah. And that's it. There was no mention of this from Squaresoft, Square Enix after the merger and everything. And from then till now, there was no mention. That, I mean, there was supposed to make a sequel called Chrono Break, but that fell out the wayside because Masato Kato, he left Square Enix after. Chrono Cross. Yeah. Uh, of course, Sakaguchi left as well. Um, there's a lot of people doing their own things, more or less. Yasunori Mitsuda was also, I mean, I guess he was doing freelancing still, uh, more or less. I think people either aged out of it or retired. Because, yeah, I mean. Uh, aged out is the correct word. Yeah. I think it's it like, like they didn't leave on bad terms or anything. But it comes to a point where, like, I mean, these guys have been working at, like, uh, Square or, like, you know, they've been making games since the 80s. And this is yeah. them entering, entering the early 2000s. So, I would say, I mean, like, we still have, like, guys like Shigeru Miyamoto who's still kicking ass every once in a yep. while. Every once in a while, he'll roll up his sleeves to figure out a game. Uh, but, you know, uh, yeah, this was also the new millennium. There was new things over the horizon and game tastes were changing. And I don't know, as much as I love 
Chrono Trigger. And as much as I would apologize for Chrono Cross, it's a great it's a great game, but not as close to what the legendary status of Chrono Trigger was. I think the yeah. Chrono Trigger actually aged better over time yeah. compared to Chrono Cross. Because you're right, uh, Chrono Cross is a product of its time, mm. as we mentioned before. And uh, yeah, I, I, when, when the game came out, people were enamored by the ratings for the game, like 9s and 10s. Which I could say is well-deserved per se, but over time, because of taste, changing tastes and different ways of doing game design, especially when it comes to yeah, RPGs... Better games came out afterwards. Yes, yeah. so much better games. Yeah. And But it's also strange to say, it's like, how is it that Chrono Trigger still holds such high regard? You know what I mean? Because it established so many things. And it, if anything, it's like, you know... Uh, I don't know, it's... Uh, it's the high holy benchmark. It's like there, it exists. There it is. That's the blueprint. Match it. Match it. And if you, if you can surpass it, you know, shine on your crazy diamond. Go forth and conquer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Chrono I Cross. think there's one. I think there's one consistent thing both Chrono games have. Besides it's definitely the, the sound. Uh, yeah. Uh, apart from the graphics, also the soundtrack. Again, Yasunori Mutsuda. You know, he got famous from Chrono Trigger, and also Xenogears as well. And then this is basically his way of showing the world that I can do Mediterranean music and Celtic music all mixed together in one. Those were his interests at that point of time, right? Because I think yeah, he, pretty much. he moved on to more acoustic instrumentation and more, uh, I would say, I mean... The, folk, folk, folk music as well, yeah, as well as like different styles. I would styles. say like the arrangements on Chrono Cross were, they were not jarring, but they were surprising. They yeah, yeah. Didn't... It was like, they had, it kind of had to match that tone of like, oh, you're, you're a dude on a, from an island and you have to travel through continents on a freaking boat. So you can have to have that music with that whole melancholy, like a slow beats per minute sort of thing with the guitar. And uh, yeah, a very somber kind of soundtrack too as well. But um, for me, what was lacking was that epic adventure vibe that the Chrono Trigger soundtrack had. Oh yeah, that is true. But yeah. again, I don't think they're going for that with the sequel. Yeah, they were definitely they were too busy yeah. stepping away trying to be different. <laughs> Yes, so much different. Yeah. But still really good listening too. I mean, I still have the island I mean, Yeah, the song's still great, you know. But, you know, yeah. it doesn't capture that kind of uh, wonderment. That grand adventure kind of music. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, but This know. is more like a very somber, chillax, but also kind of depressing kind of Can music. Can I say something? Is like when I got the Chrono Cross uh, game on the PlayStation, it kind of blew me away that you could stick the game into like a normal CD player and just listen to the music. Oh my god, that was so awesome. Remember that? Yes, <laughs> Back in the day? so good. It's yeah. like, you know, like, I'm, like it was this and the Metal Gear soundtrack in my yes. CD player the whole time. Yeah, it was good stuff. It was very good stuff. I, I, think I mean, I love the soundtrack so much, I actually bought like the CDs on Tower Records. Oh, the original Tower Records existed, yeah. Oh, no, 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 the original soundtrack again, because I kind of wanted another copy for myself. Oh man, you can't call yourself a video game hipster. You, do you have the yeah. vinyl, sir? <laughs> I don't know if they even made vinyls for Chrono, Chrono Cross. Asshole probably has one. I don't know. Probably did. Probably did. So I mean, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add to Chrono Cross? Because I think uh, I think it's about time we wrap up this lovely tribute to the Chronos. Yeah, I would say Chrono Cross. I would say it's a okay. Maybe it's a bit of a mess, but it's a very overambitious, very noble mess per se. Noble like, failure. Yeah? Uh, it didn't fail per se. I mean, it's still mm. fun to play through, but compared mm. to the magnitude of Chrono Trigger, not as good. Didn't age that well in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying you should always match uh, your greatest achievement, but sometimes, I mean, you have to understand, it's like, you know, when you create something that is just so ubiquitous and that's so, like, that's so, so unique, per se. And not yeah. only that, but pop culture defining, and then, like, I guess, guess what? Pressure's on. 
top yes. it? How do you top that? And sometimes you just can. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I mean, Final Fantasy VIII had that uh, solution. Just don't copy FF7. Do, do something else, different thing. which is yeah. the the same, like, which is the, the same mindset. I think the Chrono Cross guys were going for. Yeah, because yeah. they didn't but call think... it Chrono Trigger Two. They call it Chrono yeah. Cross. Yeah, and then unfortunately, Chrono Cross went so far in the deep end of the story, which is very ambitious to a fault, lah. Yeah, but I would say I don't know. There's something. There's just something about it that felt like it didn't quite have the polish, and it didn't quite have the love and dedication that Chrono Trigger had. I think it felt yeah. like there was still a lot of the. I would say. A lot of the moving parts didn't need to be there. Yeah, true that, true that. Uh, but you know what? Needed I mean, the polish. It's yeah. still a great game. You know, I wouldn't give it a ten upon ten. I would definitely give it a seven upon ten. It's yeah, something like a worth seven your time. Ish, yeah. You know, but I mean, like it's a good game. But if you want to compare it to what it was spawned from, uh, it's very hard to actually put it in the pantheon. Uh, but yeah. And a lot of people are still kind of questioning whether it's a true sequel or not. I. I mean, after watching a lot of videos that debunked the story and made the timelines all match up with Chrono Trigger, yeah. in a way it is, but I would say it's like a fever dream if I would you want say, to be denial about I mean, it. I would say because of the whole alternate timeline thing, it wasn't a true sequel. I mean, like if it was a true sequel, then yeah, where's Frog? Where's uh, Lavos? Where's all the... Oh, old... Lavos was at the end. Yeah, the I mean, like, I'm sorry, uh, Magus. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, you know, where are the things that we fell in love with in Chrono Trigger? We want to know what happened to these characters. But they decided yeah. to do something totally different. So, I mean... With some hints of uh, Chrono Trigger inside. I like would say, the like... The visions of Chrono and Marl and Luca I mean, I would equ- equate it to, like, maybe something like uh, Force Awakens. Is it a sequel? I mean, it incorporates stuff from the past, but it's trying to do its own you know perhaps, I mean? perhaps. And if you want to compare it to stuff from the past, yes, it's a it's a large looming shadow for you to clear. Yep. But also, we will commend whoever tries to go forth on their, I mean, in their own ways. But yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, Chrono Cross. I still hold I still hold Chrono Cross dear to my heart. I mean, obviously, Chrono Trigger is the better game, but Chrono Cross was at least trying to basically follow up how to follow up this no. follow up with the story is something a bit more different a bit more mature but still retaining that element here and there just to make sure it's not completely alien so yeah I would commend it definitely on its ambition and what it was aspiring to do yes whether it achieved it or achieved it well I wouldn't say debatable I would say yeah it kind of missed the mark but I think if you're a fan of Chrono Trigger or if you're a fan of GRPGs you will be a bit forgiving because you have to compare it it's like okay the it is, to me, just as good as Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. But Final Fantasy VII is not better than Chrono Trigger. Exactly. Yeah, so I think maybe on that note, uh, has anything else you want to add, sir? I think that's it. We've kind of did our very awesome Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross retrospective episode. So, Last King fans, do yourself a favor, okay? It is a disservice to you. You cannot call yourself a gamer if you have never beaten Chrono Trigger. Try to find as close to mint uh, ROM. <laughs> I don't want to say cartridge. I mean, it's, like, it's going to cost you a pretty penny. But yeah. if there's any opportunity for you to play the classic Chrono Trigger, please find a way. This is a game that needs to be put in a museum. I mean, it's like, Curated, basically. Yeah, it's like this, Ninja Gaiden Black, The First Devil May Cry, Half-Life 2, Quake. It's like, it needs to be, this, these are the greatest of all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Chrono Cross is definitely worth your attention, but if you, if you don't seek it out, we totally understand. So, I would say, 
on that note, <coughs> this has been Shafiq. And this has been time to that time just time displaced. This is Alfie. <laughs>